And hello again, dear ones, Reverend Robert with you here on a Friday night. It's five o'clock on the mountain time zone, and that means it is time for the good news. Our weekly look at some of the good news stories that I found across the interwebs and thought would be an inspiration to you and that you can uh, use it uh, throughout the weekend. Share with your friends. Let them know some of uh, what the good news is going on as well. If you're watching with us live, please do hit the like button, the share button, the subscribe button. Let your friends know what we're doing and let uh, invite some people to join us here on a Friday night. We'll be here for the next half hour or so. All right. First up tonight, a recurring story that we love to follow. The Ocean Cleanup folks, Boyan Slat and his crowd are at it again. Now, currently, they are the only organization on the planet that is taking on the Great Pacific Garbage Patch. If you haven't heard of the Great Pacific Garbage Patch, it's about the size of Texas, twice over. And it's a very unique space in the Pacific Ocean where the currents and the winds blow all the garbage and all the plastic and all that stuff together into one. Well, it's not really an island because it's just a floating mass. Boyan and his group have been working on this challenge for a few years now, and they just passed over 220 tons of plastic that they've been able to pull out of this patch. Now, Boyan has uh, said he believes he can clean this whole thing up in just about 10 years, so uh, a little less than a decade from now. They've been at it a few years now from the first time they went out. Their machinery keeps getting bigger and they keep getting more technology involved to make these pickups and these cleanups even more powerful, more impactful. Uh, The biggest challenge, however, is finding something to do with all that plastic once they get it out of the ocean. Uh, The ocean cleanup crowd did have a fundraiser where they, uh, they commissioned a line of sunglasses from the recycled plastic. Those have long sold out, sold out on almost immediately. Uh, so now they're looking for new ways to, and new people to buy the plastic and turn it into post-consumer plastic, uh, recycled uh, exp- different uh, products and such. So, uh, hey, if you're doing anything with plastics, let's figure out how we can get you in touch with these folks. Next up, uh, this one really got me in the heart. Um, There was a biological river in southern India, the continent of India. It's a tributary of the Pampa and Achacoil rivers. It's four miles long and it's called the Kutumpiror River. I hope I got close on that one. Uh, It's been a a source of life, drinking water for rural communities for centuries. However, over the last few decades, it's been neglected. And due to a mixture of misuse and neglect, the river became biologically dead. Uh, Choked with weeds, polluted with trash and other chemicals, Uh, the floods uh, became more common occurrence. Uh, They used to be rather rare to have floods in that area. However, as they became more common, more garbage was washed into this tributary. Uh, And by 2005, uh, it was beyond beyond drinkable. Well, thanks to a collaboration effort between the state of Kerala and the government, the Budahor Village Council, and participants from local areas, the river has been restored and resurrected, it is said, uh, to uh, to serve its purpose again. Took a lot of people, over 7,000 villagers, put in over 30,000 man hours of work 
uh, but the initial cleanup was con uh, was completed in just two months' time. So it took about five years overall uh, for all the different pieces to be in place for those two months of cleanup, uh, and about a million uh, and a half dollars U.S. dollars. But fish and animals are back in the river, using the river, drinking the water, and it is once again supplying a, a, a water lifeline to the rural villagers there in India. You know, folks, we find most of our stories over at thegoodnewsnetwork.org. We encourage you to visit their website and give them the love and attention they deserve. They do a great job of putting together a lot of these stories. And then uh, I pick and choose through them. We do get stories from other other sources as well, including sunnyskies.com, lgbtqnation.org. And later tonight, uh, I forgot to tell my producer about this one, but we've got a story from a new source, uh, which is worldatlarge.news. So my apologies, Diego, for getting to tell you that. Uh, our next story does come from that source. It's worldatlarge.news. And I found this one really exciting as well. Uh, in Madagascar, a nonprofit is training entrepreneurs to grow trees. Now, we talk a lot on the, this program about the need for trees, and we highlight a lot of different projects around the globe planting trees. Uh, this is all happening at the work of a, uh, a, a woman who was a Wall Street uh, executive. She and her husband retired to Madagascar, left behind the busy life of Wall Street, uh, but didn't leave their money behind. They brought that with them and started a nonprofit. Uh, this is really a, an exemplary approach to bottom-up restoration. Uh, who That's by Leighton Reed, who is an associate producer at the School of Plant and Environmental Sciences in Virginia Tech. Uh, the, the tree planting idea uh, has been, well, quite a rage for corporations and international aid and development agencies. And now studies are showing that the carbon sequestration in the roots of the trees planted by hand is often uh, more important than anything else. Now, a lot of these tree farms and projects have been using uh, uh, typical harvesting or farming techniques, planting all the same crop in the same row. And, uh, but that doesn't work. Those forests are very susceptible to disease and other types of destruction. And so what the folks in Madagascar are doing is training these entrepreneurs to plant various tree species in randomized patterns so that we have something that's a little bit more like a true forest. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. People getting imaginative. The company's called Green Again. They also use a lot of the local knowledge to augment the number of species that they're planting. And they're currently planting uh, on an average of 64 different species per forest that they're adding. Uh, again, the traditional, the the, uh, the normal ones right now are generally using no more than five different trees in a forest. Uh, they're using up to 64. So good work out there in Madagascar. Gotta love it, folks. We're gonna we're gonna do everything we can to save this planet because uh, obviously, if we don't. Uh, it looks pretty downhill from here. Uh, our, uh, we know full well how uh, strong the uh, the climate change can be, 
And uh, we're going to see some more. We're going to have some more stories around that in just a little bit. All right. On to a fun story that I also found. Uh, an endangered abalone whose blood could hold a cure for cancer was crowned the International Mollusk of the Year for 2023. Uh, this is a Chilean abalone. It's a carnivorous limpet with a heavy shell. Uh, and it got more than 40% of the public vote for being the International Mollusk of the Year. What's going on here is a component in the mollusks in the abalone's blood has shown recently to be effective against bladder and prostate cancer. And in its natural habitat, it's a top predator. So it's that's important for keeping its own little food web in balance. Uh, a component of its blood, the oxygen transporter, hemocyanin. I, I, again, I'm not good on the, the, uh, the, the, the technical words here, folks, the scientific words, uh, but it shows an immunotherapeutic effect against some types of cancers. That's from Dr. Carol Grieve, the lab manager at the Low Transla Translational Biodiversity Genomic Center. Uh, and so the abalone's genome is going to be completely mapped in order to figure out exactly how we can make this all work. Good news coming from the most unlikely places. The blood of a mollusk may hold the cure to some cancers. Folks, we're going to take a quick break here on the New Thought Media Network. Say hello to some of our sponsors, let you know a little bit more of some of the things that are going on around this network. But please don't go anywhere. Let your friends and family know what we're doing. Hit the buttons, like, share, and subscribe. And we'll watch a quick little commercial. We'll be back, though, in just a moment. Stay tuned. we got more new good news coming up right after this.
Let's do something fun. Let's go on vacation. Let's take some time off just to do something fun with none of the usual to-do lists that we have to deal with from day to day. And let's do it right now. And it'll only take a few seconds. Take a deep breath. Let it out. Take a break. Give yourself the gift of a moment. Allow yourself to stop doing and simply be. Because you are a bright light of love, and for you, being is more than enough. with more of the good news here on New Thought Media Network. I'm Rev. Roberts, Friday night, sharing the good news stories with you. I'd like to introduce you to a Kenyan high school teacher. This is Paul. Uh, I'm not even going to try to pronounce Paul's last name because I know I won't get it right. Uh, And Paul saw a need, and he saw a need for electric bicycles in in his village, in his area, his region of Kenya. Uh, now, the fun thing is, Paul started by importing a bicycle, um, although he says that didn't last long. So he used his own innovation to create a product his society needed. He started converting a regular gasoline motorcycles into electric bikes using laptop batteries. Yes. Now, I have my electric bike here in the U.S., uh, it doesn't look anything like Paul's bikes, and mine take a lot longer to charge, and the batteries are a lot more expensive. Um, Paul says that his a full charge on the laptop battery pack that he's using, it goes around 60 miles on a charge, but it only takes 45 minutes to charge that battery pack rather than the many hours that it would take to do the same thing here on, on in America on bigger batteries and other bicycles. Uh, These are extremely helpful as most of the cities in Kenya are uh, clogged with a lot of uh, traffic and air pollution and gasoline is very expensive. Uh, There's quite a few delivery drivers and other type of couriers that are using these machines already. And Paul has started a company, Ecomobilis. Uh, They're more advantageous compared to other gasoline-powered bikes, and uh, the the maintenance cost is also very low uh, compared to those uh, gasoline-powered vehicles as well. Congratulations, Paul. Good work. We're going to keep an eye on this story, folks, and as things develop, we'll try to find Paul again uh, and reach out and share more good news about Paul and his battery bikes there in Kenya. Hey, and you know, we've talked about EV batteries a lot on this program over the last few years uh, from various innovations in uh, car batteries and other places. Well, one of the things we don't talk a lot about is where all those batteries going to go. We now have a place in Covington, Georgia, Georgia, a 300,000, I'm sorry, 30,000 ton per year recycling facility for batteries and battery scrap just switched on the disassembly line for the very first time. Yes, the world's largest EV battery recycling center is now open. This is all part of a company, a Massachusetts-based startup. Uh, They will be harvesting lithium carbonate, cobalt, magnesium, and other battery battery minerals and selling them back to the market so we don't have to open up new mines. 
Company's called Ascend Elements, and they hope to take advantage of massive, massive government spending on electric vehicles and electrical vehicle production uh, by opening other centers uh, throughout the Carolinas, Georgia, Tennessee, and the Midwest, all within an hour's drive from new automotive plants. Smart thinking, folks. They're currently building another facility in Kentucky to bring this operation closer to what the battery belt states uh, may become. And that's what they're starting to say is this could be the, the beginning of the battery belt here in the United States. Uh, Ascend CEO Mike Cronley stated those two facilities represent the investment that we're making in key infrastructure to recover these batteries, retain these critical elements, and return them into the supply chain. Good work. Ascend elements. I love hearing that. Very good story. Hey, folks, remember, hit that like button, hit that share button, hit the subscribe, and let your friends know what we're doing here on the New Thought Media Network. We've got a couple more stories I want to focus on with you here. And this one, man, if you have kids, you're just going to, your jaw's going to drop and you're going to go, hallelujah. I didn't know this, but it takes on average 15 pairs of shoes for a child to grow from a toddler to a teenager. Now, I think... Uh, uh, my kids, I think, have been through more than 15 pairs already. Uh, they usually have two or three that they're circulating at the same time. Um, and here's the thing. We all know kids grow, and they grow sometimes quick. So all these different shoes, uh, and it's been the podiatrists explain that uh, many children are wearing shoes that are not the right fit for them, uh, especially over the first 10 years of their lives because of the rapid growth. Uh, the owner said, we wanted to give children the right fit for all cycles. We chose one shoe to cover three sizes that allow 18 millimeters of growth. We took inspiration from a flower on, on how a flower blooms from the bud stage to a fully flowered stage. The transition happens organically every day and we applied this concept to the shoe. We started working on a shoe that flexes as per the feet. Simply put, and as and where the feet grow, either from the front or the back or sideways. And when a child wears this shoe, it expands accordingly and takes the shape and contour of their feet. That's why children feel comfortable wearing the shoes. They are fairly new in the marketplace, but have already generated uh, and but only available um, in I'm sorry, I'm this in uh, India at this point. Hoping these shoes come to America. Uh, with this kind of exposure, uh, they are sooner or later. That'll be a godsend. Innovation, creativity, and following the natural form and function of a children's a child's growing feet. That sounds like new thought to me. I'm pretty excited about this. Hey, here's one more really good news story, especially for here in the in the United States. The U.S. Food and Drug Administration has approved. Narcan for over-the-counter use without a prescription for the very first time. You will also be able to buy the, the life-saving drug intervention spray online. Uh, now, the nasal spray contains about four milligrams of naloxone hydrochloride, it, which can re re rapidly reverse the effects of opioid overdose. Uh, and it, it, that is the standard treatment in most emergencies. 
This action by the FDA paves the way for the life-saving doses to be sold directly to consumers in places like drugstores, convenience stores, grocery stores, and gas stations, as well as online. The timeline for availability and price will be determined by the American manufacturer Emirate Biosolutions, but the FDA says the transition from prescription to OTC status may take months. So this isn't going to happen overnight, folks. Um, I have uh, I luckily never had to administer Narcan, uh, but I do know of countless stories where this has saved lives. This is going to go a long way to help battle uh, the addiction, the opioid addiction crisis that we're facing, not only here in America, but across the planet. All right, we're going to take another quick break, give a moment or two to say thank you to our sponsors and committed givers, as well as highlight a little bit more of what's happening here on the New Thought Media Network. I'm Rev. Robert. Don't go away. We're going to a whole other set of stories coming up following the break. So stay tuned, stay with us. We'll see you again in just a moment or two. Please help us say thank you to our organizational sponsors and donors, including the Hefferland Foundation, Affiliated New Thought Network, International New Thought Alliance, Science of Mind Archives and Library Foundation, Center for Spiritual Living Denver, Center for Spiritual Living Midtown Atlanta, New Thought Philadelphia, Planned Happiness Institute, Summit Center for Spiritual Living, Center for Spiritual Living on the Lake, Unity Spiritual Center Kitchener, Ohm Center for Spiritual Living, Center for Spiritual Living, North Jersey. Unity of Savannah. Center for Spiritual Living, Seattle. And all of our individual donors and sponsors. Thank you for being a part of the New Thought Media Network. Please come be you. Thought Media Network is on the rise. We're looking to grow with you. Do you have technical media experience or perhaps a desire to learn? Are you willing to volunteer your precious time and attention? We share this message to benefit all. If you possess a computer with a camera and a microphone, we will share our knowledge with you. Behind the scenes or being the star, let us bless our one. Contact us at info at ntmedia.org.
with more of the good news here on the New Thought Media Network. Rev. Robert with you on a Friday night. I've got a whole nother series of good news stories here. And the first one kind of comes, well, to me, it's kind of like, well, yeah, of course. If we think about what we want and we think good about it, well, then it's going to happen. A new study is out by Yale University and uh, their uh, School of Public Health. It was funded and uh, promoted by the National Institute on Aging. And over a series of years, they've looked at people uh, over the age of 65. The study is based on about 1,700 participants. And it looked at people with mild cognitive impairment. Now, most people think that as you get older, you just lose your memory and mild cognitive impairment would be natural and unreversible. However, it's not. Uh, the study does indicate that about 50% of people that experience mild cognitive impairment do recover from the condition and are able to bring themselves back up to full memory. One of the contributing factors is to be positive about aging. Professor Becca Levy, one of the lead authors of the study, said most people assume there's no recovery from MCI and little is known about why some people recover. That's why we looked at age, positive age beliefs to see if they would provide an answer. And they do. Those that thought they were that were more positive about their aging were 30 percent more likely to gain, regain normal cognitive functions than those that were not. Again, not conclusive that that's the only factor. However, it definitely is a contributing factor. Uh, Professor Levy also said, our previous research has demonstrated that age beliefs can be modified. Therefore, age belief interventions at the individual and societal levels could increase the number of people who experience, who experience cognitive recovery. Her research was published this week in JAMA Network Open and was spurred by her previous discovery that older people who felt positive about their age experience improved cognitive performance. Thank you, Professor. Professor Becca Levy, thank you for doing that work. That's good news, uh, especially as I'm not over 65 yet, but that means that all I got to do is stay positive about it and I've got a contributing factor going my way. And I would imagine that if you're over 65 and you start thinking positive about your aging, that'll work too. All right. Our next story uh, is one of those wonderful heartwarming stories of a, a community in England and a group of people that came together to create a homeless, a retirement village for homeless, stray, abandoned and unwanted cats and kittens. It's uh, the uh, called the Shropshire Cat Rescue in Shrewsbury. They take in, uh, they've got currently it has, they have 17 cats uh, and they've each been given their own little mini uh, condo, as it were. <laughs> there is a video over on the website. Check that out. Goodnewsnetwork.org uh, where the cats have, uh, the, it's, it's just adorable. Uh, each of the shelters was intended to create an area for cats who were too elderly or had ongoing health conditions that needed regular treatment and monitoring to live out their days in comfort. Uh, there are a number of veterinarians involved, and each of the cats are weighed weekly and monitored for weight change or indication something isn't right. Uh, and if so, they're highlighted, highlighted for a vet checkup. 
if there are any cats who are con who ha are a concern beforehand, they get to straight taken straight down or booked into the veterinary hospitals as soon as possible. So uh, if there's any mitigating circumstances. Uh, and uh, I, of course, as this is a retirement home for elderly cats, uh, they've even created their own memorial garden uh, and create memorial stones for the cats that, that do make their transition. Good work, folks. Really happy to see this one as well. Hey, do remember, Coming up later tonight, following this program, we do have our fireside chat with Reverend Michael at 6 p.m. And as our producer Diego was reminding us, evening prayers at 8.15 p.m. as well. Thank you for those reminders, Brother Diego. All right. We got a couple of stories left, and that means we're going to run just a little bit late. However, I want you to know this. Uh, a new study out of Australia has found beneficial properties may not be the uh, of cleaning our air of disinfecting our air may not be the only benefit to having a room full of plants uh the room full of plants can also because of cleaning and disinfecting the air uh can help to keep us from getting colds and the flu uh, this is a very good proof of concept study on what on whether plants can help disinfect air and our results have potentially major implications for the role of plant meditated, mediated atmospheric cleansing, climate change, and urban and indoor air quality. Again, head on over to the goodnewsnetwork.org for the full story on that. All right, our final story of the evening in our newest segment, Hero of the Week. On the left is not the hero, that's the crocodile. On the right is Vimal Singh. Uh, Vimal uh, was uh, down by the river and her husband had gone down to the river to get water for their goats. And a crocodile ran up, grabbed him by the leg. Uh, Vimal jumped into action and started to smack the crocodile with a stick. And it sh so shocked the crocodile. Uh, it says here she may have gotten a shot at his eye. Uh, it so shocked the crocodile, he released the husband from his jaws. Uh, the man was able to backpedal away, and uh, his leg was saved. He was transported to a local hospital. However, is expected to make a full, full recovery. Think about it, folks. Uh, I don't know that I would have the wherewithal to pick up a stick and start smacking a crocodile. Uh, congratulations, Vimal. Thank you so much for not only saving your husband's life, but being an inspiration to all of us, you are our hero of the week. All right, folks, that's all we've got time for. I'm overtime as it is, so I'm going to get out of here, let you get back into your evening. But again, come back again in just a half an hour. Tune in for Pastor Michael and the the Fireside Chat. Send us your news stories at goodnews at ntmedia.org. Let us know if there's a good news story that you know of, or if you'd like to come on and be a guest presenter some evening. I'm Rev. Robert. I'm going to get out of here for now. I love you. You're amazing. I can't wait to see you again. And until we meet in person, I wish you peace and richest blessings. Bye now.